to the GBC Sermon Podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au. Thanks, Sonia. We're going to read from uh, Mark chapter 4. And I don't know if you heard Sonia say, ears to hear what Mark is going to be sharing later. And that's actually the last verse of the reading today. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So let's hear what God has to say to us today from his word. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. Now the crowd that had gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Thanks, Bruce. Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Trust that you, uh, if you've got kids or you're an educator, you're ready Alrighty then, I am overwhelmed by the sense state of readiness. Um, we are, as the school year begins, uh, our ministry year starts as well. Uh, and so, as you've heard, many of our programs start back up, whether it be kids and youth or our life groups begin, teams and committees start meeting more regularly. People are kind of back on deck. And uh, I wrote about this briefly in the, uh, the E! News this week. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit of nervous anticipation this year, kind of like that nervous anticipation you get just before uh, the whistle blows to start the game or before the, uh, the, the curtain opens to start the play, just that sense of nervousness um, and anticipation related to our strategic directions. Uh, so we spent last year as a community of faith uh, seeking to discern where God was leading us, uh, and at the end of last year, believe that we heard from God. Uh, and uh, now the hard work begins of trying to ground that, and uh, I am anticipating that, but also just a little bit nervous uh, about all that that's going to entail. We'll be talking more about that in the days and weeks and months to come. In fact, for the next five years, hopefully, we'll be talking about the direction that we believe that God is leading and guiding us into. But one of the things that came out in our discernment process together was, uh, I guess, the recognition of something that we all know, and that is that we tend to be time poor. I don't think I'm telling you anything new, right? If you ask people after the service, how are you? Chances are they will say, busy. 
uh, because that's kind of life, isn't it? Uh, and, and one of the things that we want to grapple with as a community of faith in relationship to what it means for us to follow Jesus is how do we follow Jesus in a world where our lives can be so busy, where we can be so time poor. And so we thought that one of the things that we might do in line with one of our values of being on purpose, we want to be intentional, uh, was to consider some of the big things that we would really want as followers of Jesus to make sure we have in our lives at the start of the year. Uh, The big rocks, so to speak, if you're familiar with that metaphor that Stephen Covey used about getting the big things in our life first, and then you can figure out what else fits. Uh, Don't start the other way around. Uh, And so we're going to be talking about today following the one, following Jesus and what that means. And then in the weeks to come, to talk a bit about what it means for us to be the one, for us to find the one, and for us to do the one thing. Uh, And hopefully at the end of this, you won't feel overwhelmed by more things to do, but will in fact feel a little bit empowered to be more on purpose about what you choose to do with your life this year as a follower of Jesus. And so as we talk about following the one, I decided to go back to a familiar parable and a parable from, that I chose from Mark's gospel. It's also told in both Matthew and in Luke, uh, but I chose it in Mark's gospel because of the place that it sits and the role that this parable plays in Mark's account. So in terms of Mark's overall account of how Jesus has kind of changed and is changing the world, there's a couple of things to note. Uh, Mark's gospel tells us that Jesus is primarily a teacher. So when Jesus kind of begins his ministry, his ministry is summarized by the proclamation or the declaration of the good news, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near, uh, repent and believe. Uh, And uh, when Jesus begins his ministry, that's essentially what he does. He goes from place to place teaching and preaching. In fact, he says that's why he has come. His disciples find him praying one morning and they say, everyone's looking for you to continue your healing ministry. And Jesus says, we have to go to the surrounding villages and towns so I can preach the word there. That is why I've come. But what's fascinating is for someone who is presented as a preacher and a teacher, by the time we get to the end of chapter three in Mark's account, we have not yet really heard Jesus teach. We have a summary Repent and believe the good news. And we have Jesus interacting with people about his teaching, but we haven't yet heard Jesus teach. So this is the very first teaching block in Mark's account. It's the first place we hear Jesus preaching. And so it's fairly important for us as we move forward. On top of that, though, uh, chapter 4 also serves to explain a tension that has been introduced into the text. And that tension is that Jesus' ministry by the end of chapter 3 looks like a bust. It really does. It looks like a flop of monumental proportions. Because the way Mark opens his gospel is with enormous fanfare. He doesn't take us back to the birth narrative, so we don't have any of the stories of shepherds or angels or wise men. He doesn't give us a genealogy to tell us where Jesus came from. He doesn't reflect on it like John does. He just drops us right into the action. But he begins with some enormous statements of Jesus' promise. The very first line. The beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah has echoes with imperial propaganda, 
It was the same thing that was said about Caesar Augustus, that his birth was good news. The Greek word is euangelion, from which we get the word evangelism. It is good news. Caesar Augustus was good news for the world. And Mark says, you've heard of Caesar? Let me tell you about Jesus. He is good news for the world. Then we're told that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies which is not so much the fact that Jesus kind of ticked some boxes and did some stuff that the Old Testament said somebody would do. It's in fact that the reality that Jesus now meets the conditions for what God is going to do next to actually happen. So when Jesus is baptized, we're told that the heavens are torn apart, just like the prophet Isaiah said they would, when the Spirit would be poured out and the new age would come. The kingdom is coming. The Spirit is coming. The Spirit rests on Jesus unlike anyone he has ever rested on in the story to this point in time. Wow! And then it gets weird because this earth-shattering, history-altering, unbelievable person begins his universal ministry in Capernaum, a fishing town in the northern region of Galilee, which is the wrong place to start a ministry of earth-shattering and history-altering proportions. That would be Jerusalem or Rome. Just pick a big city, right? Not Capernaum, right? And then he calls his first followers, and they... Uh, they don't have any influence or power or actually much knowledge, really. They're fishermen. And then Jesus gets all the wrong people offside right away. By chapter 3, the religious leaders have decided that the way he plays fast and loose with their religious laws and the way he blasphemes and the fact that he's probably just possessed by a demon, which is how he casts them out, they've decided that they're going to kill him. By chapter 3... The crowds, they're amazed because Jesus does some pretty cool stuff. He teaches with authority and he casts out demons and he heals the sick and he heals the lepers. And it's pretty cool. They're amazed, but nobody, we're told, repents and believes. His disciples don't seem to know what's going on. His own family shows up to kind of bring him home so he can have a bit of a lie down because he's kind of doing a little bit more than he ought to be doing. Nobody understands Jesus. And by the time we get to the end of chapter three, we should be thinking to ourselves in Mark's account, something's gone wrong. Jesus looks like a bust. All this promise, all this expectation, all this anticipation, all this sense that he was going to change the world and he's just putting everybody offside and doing weird stuff and what? Chapter four. The first block of Jesus is teaching. And you heard the story, pretty simple, isn't it? Farmer goes out and he chucks seed everywhere. I mean everywhere. Some of it lands on the path. Now I'm not much of a farmer, <laughs> Plants come to my house to die, right? Like that's what happens, right? I, I just, but I, even I know that putting seed on the path ain't gonna work, right? Throws it on the path, it gets eaten by the birds. Throws it in the rocks, some of it grows and then shrivels because it has no soil. Throws it into the weeds, it grows up, gets choked out, doesn't bear fruit. Finally gets some on the good soil and it grows and produces a crop and a blessed crop. Jesus uses some Old Testament language here, 30, 60, 100-fold, which, which recalls God's blessing. 
Great. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. And so his disciples show up and say, hey, what's that all about? And Jesus says to them, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? This, this parable for Mark's account is, is fundamental, it's, it's foundational. And to answer the second question of why Jesus appears to be a bust, here's Jesus' answer. You know why people aren't responding to me? It's not me, it's you. The word is good. The good news is good. It'll bear fruit when it lands in good soil. So the fact that there isn't any fruit suggests that's why Jesus' ministry is a bust. His people, the people listening, aren't hearing. But beyond that, this then gives us a framework to consider every character that we encounter in Mark's gospel. We can actually consider every character through the lens of these four soils, and we find them everywhere. The religious leaders, well, they're the soil that's on the path, hard-packed, stamped down. By chapter 3, they have decided well and truly that they are not going to have anything to do with this Jesus fellow. They know what he is about. He's a blasphemer. He plays fast and loose with the laws. He's probably demon-possessed. Satan has snatched the seed and there is no fruitfulness there. We have examples of uh, the crowd who would kind of be typical of the second soil. They are amazed at what Jesus does. I mean, it's just amazing. Did you see what he did? Did you hear what he did? The demons just listened to him and left. Did you see how he just touched Peter's mother-in-law and she got up right away and she's fine. Did you hear how he touched the leper and he was immediately cleansed? Did you hear how he taught about the Old Testament? It was amazing. And that amazement never turns into faith. It's the same, shall we say, the same crowd who, a little bit later in the book, are the ones yelling, crucify him. We got quite a few examples, actually, of the third soil. The most well-known is the man who comes to Jesus. He's the first person in the gospel of Mark who asks the right question. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And no one has asked Jesus that question yet. Nobody has asked him the most important question. He's the first one. It's great. And Jesus says, well, it's easy. You just got to obey the law. He says, I have. And Jesus goes, that's amazing. That's great. One thing, just sell everything you have and follow me. And he hasn't said the words follow me since he called his last disciple. It's like he is saying, we'll make room in the 12 for you. We'll have 13 for a watch. Come on. You ask the right question. You obey the laws. Great. Come on. And the man went away sad because of the deceitfulness of wealth. And the disciples, they're the third soil too. Oh, they've heard the word and it's growing. But as they are going to Jerusalem, they are arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus calls them out on it. Awkward. 
What were you talking about on the way here? Oh, nothing. <laughs> no, not really. What were you talking about? Oh, just, you know, hippies of grace. <laughs> Which, of course, tells us something really important about the lives, the soils, is that they can change. Because we know the disciples got there in the end, right? So what is this fruitful soil? In the context of the parable, we could say that it is faith in Jesus, because Jesus is always on the lookout for faith in the gospel. Always on the lookout for faith. But it's a faith that believes who he is. That was what made the first soil so hard. That can survive through hardship and persecution, which is what crossed out the second lot. And that can discern between the desires of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the worries of this life, to desire only Jesus, which is the third thing. That is the fruitful life. Someone who hears and believes who Jesus is, who can uh, allows their faith to become mature enough to withstand trouble and hardship, and who can discern between the things of God and the things of earth who can hear the, the truthfulness of Jesus' words versus the deceitfulness of wealth. And we have examples, tantalizing examples, of some good soil. There's the religious leader at the end of the book. Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the week before he is going to his death. And the religious leaders are trying to catch him. And they ask him all those tricky questions about paying taxes to Caesar, the cracking questions, Right? And as the story is told, it sounds like another teacher of the law who wasn't trying to trap Jesus was kind of walking past and heard his answer and kind of went, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, can I ask one? And he asks Jesus, what's the greatest law? And Jesus responds, love, your, love, the, love God and love your neighbor. And the, and the teacher of the law, I love this, says to Jesus, that's a good answer. <laughs> I love that part. Jesus, that's not bad. It's like, you know your stuff. Right? And Jesus says to this man, you are not far from the kingdom. Some good soil. There's the example of the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, who comes up behind Jesus in the crowd and touches his cloak, believing that she will be healed. And when she is, and when she, when she comes forward and tells the story, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Sounds like some good soil. Or the Syrio-Phoenician woman who comes to Jesus begging for him to heal her daughter and who is seemingly rebuffed by Jesus. She kind of says, oh, listen, it's not the right time. And she kind of pushes back and she kind of asks a question. You know, it's that whole kind of when Jesus says, I can't give, it's not right to give the food, the children's food to the dogs. And she says, yeah, but surely the dogs eat the crumbs. And it's like Jesus goes, oh, wow, that's faith. Yeah, it's done. She's healed, Go. Or the Gerasene demoniac, who once he was restored by Jesus, says, can I come follow you? And he says, no, no, but go back and tell everybody what I've done for you. And the next time Jesus is in that area, there's a crowd of 4,000 people who come. Coincidence? There's the Roman centurion, and when he sees how Jesus dies, says, surely this man was the son of God. Evidence of good soil, of a life that hears and believes who Jesus is and can withstand hardship and persecution and suffering and 
can distinguish between the truthfulness of heaven and the deceitfulness of this earth. And if we can ask the question of the characters in Mark's gospel, if we can look at them all through the lens of the four soils, then it begs the question, what's the state of your soil? Because soils can change. If we extend the parable, you sow the field every year, right? Every year. Every year there's a new opportunity for seed to find some hard paths and some shallow stony soil and some weeds and some good soil. What is the state of your soil? Is it a little bit hard? Resistant? It's a little bit shallow? You feeling some pressure of questions or challenges you're facing? Do you recognize that it's just a little choked out? Or is it fruitful? We believe that we participate with what God is doing in the world through the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just when you leave here and you bump into somebody and there's an opportunity to share the gospel. It's also to do with our own lives. Because the Holy Spirit is also the gardener, right? And so there are things that we can do to work with and participate with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit breaks up that hard ground or digs out those stones or pulls out those weeds or enables the seed that has been sown to bear a harvest, not just of 30, but of 60 or 100-fold what was sown. So what can we be doing determining the state of our hearts, the state of our lives, and what can we be doing to participate with the Holy Spirit? Uh, Andy Stanley uh, is a pastor in the United States. He and his church do some really wonderful thinking about discipleship and faith. And they uh, have um, they've done some thinking uh, uh, in relationship with others about um, how our faith grows, how our faith in Jesus grows. And they suggest five things. They all have a letter P in them, so you know that it's got to be gold, right? Uh, but they're really quite helpful. And um, from time to time, I've asked people just to sit down and write down what's helped their faith grow. And then we've talked about these five Ps, and inevitably, they have, nearly everyone has them. So, so here they are. There is, first of all, the power of private disciplines. Our engagement with the Word and prayer or journaling or fasting, things that we do privately. Right? How we give, to some degree, is part of our private disciplines. All of those sorts of things. And there's something really powerful about spending time with God in the Word and prayer and focusing our hearts and minds on Him in a variety of ways, not just in prayer and reading Scripture, but any way that we can turn our hearts to Him and worship or whatnot. So private disciplines. Secondly, there is what they talk about as a personal service, finding a way to be involved in ministry, whether it's within the life of a church and a community of faith or whether it's seeing a service outside of the church as being part of your spiritual discipline, uh, seeing it as an opportunity to grow as a follower of Jesus. They talk about practical teaching whether it be listening to sermons, whether it be reading books or listening to podcasts or doing an Old Testament overview on a Monday night starting February 20th or something like that, right? An opportunity to, to get some teaching in a way that perhaps you haven't engaged with before. 
They talk about providential relationships, those friendships, those spiritual friendships where God brings people into your life at a particular point in time and really helps your faith grow. And then talk about pivotal circumstances. Sometimes good, but mostly bad. When we go through really hard times that challenge our faith and we come out with a stronger, deeper, more profound, more nuanced understanding of God's goodness and grace to us in the midst of difficulty. And those are really powerful. I think, you know, if you want to have a conversation with someone after the service today, why don't you ask them about those five Ps? You know, what's helped you grow in your faith if you want to go that far, right? When I talk to people, when I think about my own life, those things make sense to me. And I think that the Holy Spirit uses our private disciplines and our practical service and practical, sorry, personal service and our practical teaching and providential relationships and pivotal circumstances to grow our faith. It's an opportunity for us to participate together. So can I ask you, what is one thing that you could do to participate with the Holy Spirit? So at the end of this year, this harvest cycle, you might have a harvest of faith. Is there a private discipline that you would like to get back into or a private discipline that you would like to do differently or a private discipline that you'd like to try? Is there something you want to learn? Do you want to take a relationship that you already have with somebody, someone that's a believer, and you want to take it just a little bit deeper so that it becomes, shall we say, more spiritually beneficial? Is there some thinking and work that you need to do in the midst of some really challenging things that are going on in your life? Is there a ministry that you can get involved in here or outside the church that really kind of helps you think about faith from that perspective? Choose one thing. Choose one thing and ask the Holy Spirit to be renewing and changing your life so that when you hear the word, your faith and who Jesus is and your ability to go through difficulties and your ability to discern what is good in this world and what should be resisted might grow in order that we might be fruitful for the kingdom of God. We follow the one. We follow his teaching. We follow his word. Let those who have ears to hear, hear. I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to conclude our service. A song, um, Lord, I Need You, might sound appropriate. Um, and uh, some of you might be thinking, you know, I, I've got, uh, some of you might need to go away and think about the state of your heart. Others of you know the state of your life right now. <laughs> Some of you might need to go away and think about those five Ps and think about what's one thing you can do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Some of you might know right now. Um, so I'm going to actually ask um, a couple of our elders. I'm going to ask Bruce and Barb and Rhonda, Sonia. I'm not sure if any, I haven't, don't know who else is here. But if you guys want to come down to the front uh, and just be available for prayer. Uh, and Leanne, haha, <laughs> I saw you. <laughs> And any other elder who's here that I haven't yet spotted. If you just want to come down the front, and just during this song and then kind of after the service, they'll just be available, he says in faith, hoping they don't have to rush off to something, uh, that they'll be available to pray uh, with and for you in this time. It's really important as we start the year to choose those things that we want to be on purpose about, and this is one of them. So can I invite you to stand? Let me pray briefly for us, and then uh, we'll be led in worship and an opportunity to come forward for prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we follow you. We thank you for your word to us, for your example to us, for your death for us, for your resurrection. 
We thank you for the promises that you have given to us and made to us and for the fact that um, you work with us to grow our faith. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are so generous in the way you sow, (laughs) that you don't reserve the seed for the good soil. You just scatter seed everywhere, some on the path and some on the rocks and some on the weeds and some on the good soil. And regardless of where we find ourselves today, we know that your invitation to respond to your word is there. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our lives to bring about a harvest of faith in each of us. We pray that you would change our hearts and um, open our minds and lead us into the things that we need to be doing, the things that we need to be on purpose and intentional about as we head into this year. We pray that as we sing these words, that they might indeed be our prayer to you, that you might continue to answer our prayers faithfully, that you would be a part of our journey this year, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.